The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. All right, are you all ready? Okay, here we go. Let's get started. Well, I don't know how many of y'all can tell me what time it is. Don't look at your watches or your cell phones. What time is it up there on the screen? What is it? 10, 12? 10, 12, and 37 seconds, right? 38 seconds. How many of y'all uh, believe that younger people will never know how to read this type of clock, older folks? Okay. How many of y'all young people think you know how to read this clock? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's impressive because uh, I actually had it the other way. I figured the older folks, and I'm including myself in that, anyone who's not a teenager would not know how to read this, but you all said it pretty well. Oh, that's in your school. Okay. Well, that makes more sense. Uh, It's amazing, though. You ask people what time it is. Most people look at this and just think it's a bunch of numbers on the circle. Like, what is this going on? How many of y'all check your watch on your cell phone or check the time on your cell phone? Just be honest. How many of y'all still have a watch on your wrist right now? Wow, that's amazing. Uh, how many of y'all still have an old analog clock like this somewhere in your house? Okay, very, very good. That's a, uh, wow, you all are actually more well-versed than I thought. Well, there goes that illustration. So, well, uh, I was actually, I thought I was going to use the illustration that we were the last generation, the 30s, late 20s, that could read clocks, but apparently people can these days. But isn't it, don't you know it's important to teach your children how to tell time? Isn't that a very important value to tell them? You know, uh, with the creation of the atomic clock, any one of us at any time, we, when they have those set your clock back an hour, I'm like, what do I do that for? I have my cell phone for that. Does anyone do that? Does anyone still set their clock back an hour? Wow, you all are impressive today. Vacation did us all good, I think. It's good. But, you know, watches have been around for a long time, and it, it seems, though, that the time that, of these types of clocks are going away. But they're in schools. We have several around our church. Uh, there's one in Judy's office. But most people today have the atomic clock version, which is the version that tells them at any time, any place, anywhere, based on cell phone signal, this is the time, right? And it's usually correct. Usually correct. And the ability to tell time and to tell in today's society is very important. Because in today's society, if you're five minutes late for an interview, you're probably not going to get that job, are you? I hope not. But, well, maybe I hope not. That's not the right phrase. But you know what I'm saying. If you're 20 minutes early, you feel like you're out of place because you're the first one there. And that's awkward. And, well, why'd you get here so early? Well, my parents talked. So most of us try and do what most people do, right? We slide in right at the hour. Does anyone do that? Anyone slide in right on time? How many are early birds? Just out of curiosity. How many are habitually late? Be honest. One hand goes up. There's one honest person here. How many of y'all are just right on time? Just right on time every time. The rest of y'all who didn't raise your hands, I don't know if you have any time. So that's about it. But you know, the Apostle John faced a very similar challenge in the first century with respect to telling time, if you want to say it in such a way. His time that we're going to study through 1 John, he's going to talk about a time has come. And it was essential for them, spiritually speaking, to tell the time and tell it correctly. But John's task was not just to tell the time back then with the sundial in the Roman times. 
The time concerned him was not chronological, but theological. It was the end times. It was not as man measures time as we do, but as God keeps that time. You see, it was, as he says in this passage we're about to read, it was the last hour. There wasn't an app for that back then, guys. It was the last hour. It was the last hour. This is why 1 Timothy, I love these verses. They're so apropos to our time here this morning. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Paul said this, very similar to what we'll read in John. The Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of Trinity, clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. See, Paul knew the time. Paul knew the time. John knew the time. They had the correct time. And John teaches us in this passage that the clock is about to strike 12. The sand in the hourglass, if you will, is about to go away. Time as we know it is about to run out. Midnight is about here, and Cinderella still hasn't found her shoe, if that's the case. But how do we know? How do we know this? Because John says the evidence is unmistakable that the time has come. The Antichrist, notice the S on that, plural, have come. So that's the big question this morning. Who or what is an Antichrist? Has the time come for the Antichrist? Some of you are like, yes, he's finally preaching on the end times. Well, hold your horses. How does this relate to how we know Christ or not? Friends, John's going to tell us a very striking thing today. In fact, the big idea comes straight out of that. It is this. The false teaching starts with the assumption that the Lord wants to give us our best life now rather than our best life later. You see, people get so obsessed, and I use that word intentionally, obsessed with the end times and crazy about date setting is when they get bored with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was the same thing back in John's day. People had forgotten the simple thing that Jesus loved me and died for my sins, that they wanted to set dates. And John said, no, that's unconscionable. We can't do that. Look, the most important fact about the end times is this. God wins in the end, amen? And that's what you need to know. It's not, if you're left behind in that thought or if you're somewhere in the future with that thought, I don't know. But here's the reality. John is going to tell us the Antichrist is not just one person, but it's anyone who denies that Jesus is the true Christ. That is the Antichrist. So where have we been the last several weeks? We've been in several places since we started this study about four weeks ago. Back to the basics. The first week we asked the question, how can we know anything? How can we know anything? And John told us that to know that you know that you know you're a Christian, you need to know that what I'm telling you is gospel truth. Secondly, we looked at, can I know God and keep sinning? Those people who say, I'm a Christian, but live their lives exact opposite of that, and there's no repentance show that they don't know Christ. Equally, when we studied a couple weeks ago, can I know God and not obey him? Uh, That's a tough question. Because as Christians, we will have times when we don't obey God fully, don't we? We all do go through those times. But John says, if that is the pattern of your life, then he questions whether you know Christ. And Matt, last week, and I really encourage you, if you've not listened to it, listen to his message. He was right on in this. You cannot have the love of the world and the love of God and still know Christ. There's a lot to unpack with that, but he did a great job of doing that last week. And this morning, we ask another question. Can I know God without knowing the truth? Can I know God without knowing the truth? That's a great question. And we're going to look at this heading. We're going to have this heading up. It says, those opposed to Christ, the Antichrist, will do three things. Those who don't know Christ at all will abuse this privilege. They will abuse Christ, verse 18. They will abort Christ's church, verses 19 through 23. And those who don't know Christ will attack true Christians, verses 24 to 28. At this point, friends, when I say the word Antichrist, 
This is a very popular phrase in Christian America. It started in the late 90s, especially with Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins with their Left Behind series. That was a very popular series. The word antichrist has a way of striking fear, awe, wonder. I wonder who it is. But given all the wild speculation and outrageous ideas about the antichrist that have surfaced, it's essential that we have a balanced biblical understanding about who he is and what he does and what his followers will do and who they are. Because that is where John is going in this. My goal today is not to pin the tail on the Antichrist. Do you get what I'm saying? We're not here to do that. The Antichrist. The goal today is to look at those who deny Christ and ask that big question we've asked all along. How do you know that you are a Christian or not? That's the purpose of 1 John. Because if what we say about these antichrists are true in your life, that should be the question, friend, that you are asking yourself. Do I really know Christ? With that in mind, you've stood well today. Would you mind standing, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word this morning as we start in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. As usual, I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version, which is in our pews, uh, just to make sure that's consistent. Verse 18, children, it is the last hour, and as you've heard, and the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out, they, the Antichrist, went out from us, the, the Christians, but they, the Antichrist, were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have commit, continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. I write, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. And I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And if you're a highlighter, this is a great highlighter verse. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught in you, abide in him. Let's pray as we go before and study God's word. Father, it's good to be back here at this church that loves you so much. Father, as we are in a day and an hour that is a, a very different time in America that many of us have grown up knowing, different time in our world that many of us have grown up knowing, we are grateful that you, as, as Matt read, are the sovereign God, that no one can stay your hand or say, why have you done this? Father, I pray that through all the derision, through all the delusion, through all the things that would drive us away from knowing you better, that we would know the truth. And as John says, not that we don't know the truth, but, Father, that we would know it and be able to discern truth from error, especially as it relates to what it means about your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, this is not just a hard, cold fact, but, Father, this affects every part of our being. The gospel is everything. Father, may it be everything as we study this morning. We love you so much. We praise you in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you. All right. So who are these antichrists? Who are these antichrists? It's a great, great question. It's very clear from the passage, and I hope you'll see this today, 
that Antichrist first are those who are opposed to Christ and abuse Christ. I don't mean that in some um, uh, Catholicism type way where we re-crucify Christ at every Mass. That's not what's being said here. But what is being said is what verse 18 says. Let me read it for you again. Children, it is the last hour, and as you've heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. I love that John opens up this with a term of endearment. He, he says, dear children, it's endearment, and it introduces a new subject. Last week, Matt shared about the love of the world and the love of Christ. But what he says here is that the Antichrist has a period of time. He says it's the last hour. This is a, it is a biblical term, a theological term, that begins and concludes with verse 18, saying that the entire period between Christ's first and second coming are what you might call the end times. So when someone comes up to me and says, Pastor, are we in the end times? I'll say, yes, and we've been there since about AD 33, and we will be there until Christ returns. There's a whole other sermon topic on that, but the Bible does speak of last days, of last hours, of last times, and the term rings that bell of urgency. Guys, pay attention. It's here. It's coming. It's here right now. And we are certainly in the latter minutes of that last hour. Time is almost gone. But here's one thing you can't be certain of. One thing more certain than death and taxes in a crazy political season. It's this. Christ is returning. He's coming back literally. He's coming back seriously. And he's coming back gloriously. That is our God. Look, you can set dates like Harold Camping did of family radio. Please avoid that radio station from the pulpit. I will say that. Please avoid family radio. Harold Camping tried to set dates on May 24, 2011 and June 7, 2011. Christ did not come during those times. He proved himself to be a false prophet. Be very careful what you listen to. But one thing is, is that Christ is returning. And John says here, look, these antichrists will come during those last hours and they will do everything in their power to get you to think other than what I am telling you and what you already know. We are in that time when antichrists are active because Christ is already fully active. Without Christ, there would be no antichrist. Even their coming gives witness to his coming. Isn't that the crazy thing? Even when you try and kill off all the Christians or put laws against all the Christians, God still raises up a people for his name. Uh, Iran right now, I saw this on Facebook, uh, the Gospel Coalition put this out a couple weeks ago. But in Iran right now, as oppressive as that regime is against Christians, Christians are coming People are coming to be Christians in greater numbers than ever before. Praise the Lord for that, guys. Where there is persecution, the church flourishes. That's why Satan, even though he tries to oppose Christ in the last hour, God will have his church and will build his church. Hell will not prevail against the church. He also says here that the Antichrist is a principle. You know, John is the only writer that uses the word Antichrist. He uses it in verse 18, verse 22, in chapter 2. He uses it in chapter 4, verse 3 in 2 John. It's a word that has multiple meanings. It literally means opposed to God. It's one who's against Christ and one who seeks to replace Christ, rival Christ, or show a counterfeit Christ. And especially, it's speaking of those who wrongly believe things about who Jesus is and what he has done. Friends, there's an old term called uh, the myth of neutrality. You know, sometimes you remember back in World War II, Switzerland was this country that tried to be neutral. And I don't know how you're neutral when everyone all around you is bombing each other. I, I don't know. But they tried to be neutral. And what they found is that didn't work. And at times they had to repel. Friends, as a person, you cannot be neutral about Jesus Christ. You are either for Christ or you are against Christ. 
There is no middle ground, ever. And what John says here is, look, this Antichrist isn't coming to say, oh, it's okay if you believe Jesus is who he says he is. He says, no, anyone who believes this is abusing who Christ said he was. Many Antichrists have already come, he'll say in later chapters. And there's a spirit of Antichrist that is presently operative in the world today. Anyone who is not a Christian is an Antichrist. No matter how big a smile they have, no matter how moral they are, no matter how nice they are, no matter how much money they give to charity, if they do not know the biblical Christ, friends, biblically they are an antichrist. That's not PC. That's not going to be on your local news, except in the negative, right? But that is what the scripture says. So what is the application point here? I think it's this, is that Satan's case against me is perfectly logical. It's thoroughly factual, but he forgets crucial evidence that Christ's prints are on the cross for me. No matter what the Antichrist say about you and your faith, if you're truly in Christ, then you know the biblical one. And that's the one you want to be on the side of, right? That's the truth. And that is the one you want to be on. So he goes on and he says the Antichrist is also a person. John makes clear distinguishing marks here between Antichrist who have come and the Antichrist singular, the person who will come. In Daniel 9, 27, this one who will come, the Antichrist, is the prince of uh, the demons, basically. Paul called him in 2 Thessalonians lawlessness, the man of lawlessness. John called him in Revelation 13, the beast out of the sea. But if you want to boil up the Antichrist, the one who will come in truly the final days, it's this. The doctrine of the Antichrist, friends, is simply that faith must be reinforced with works. Anyone who comes to you and says that Jesus is not enough is coming straight from the Antichrist perspective. This is why Satan's Superman is on the way. Because every religion, do you realize this? Every religion has some amount of good works in it. Muslims believe you have to have your good angels' works outweigh your bad, and they throw them on the altar, and hopefully it it balances your way. Hindus believe that in multiple lives, you have to go through, if you're a cat one time, and you become a cow, and you become whatever, a human, and you go through that cycle, that you've got to get better and better and better and better. Go on the list. Mormons believe that Jesus Christ is as good as he is good so long as your works also overcome your faith. Friend, I don't know about you. I am so grateful, aren't you, that you are saved by grace alone and Christ alone. Amen. I can't keep that up. Some of you have tried to be the husband of the year for one day, and I've failed this multiple times. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. Or try to be the best parent for the week, and you try hard, and you do the best things you can, and man, you do something crazy, and it just messes up. So who is the Antichrist? Who is the Antichrist? Well, if you ask 19% of Americans in a recent poll, he's alive today. And nearly 50% of those believe that the Antichrist is someone in America. Friends, I'm not going to do that. I I don't want to do that for your sake, because guess what? When Brexit happened, the English vote about a month ago, lots of people started changing their prophecy charts, if you want to go down that road. Be very careful. Whether he is alive, I cannot, will not, should not speculate. But one thing I know is true. The Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, is alive and well, and he will be certain of that. He is alive and well. And the Antichrist will do nothing, Satan will do nothing to stop at mentioning the name of Christ anywhere, everywhere. He will stamp it out. Christian, my question for you this morning as we move on to this point, do you love the God of the gospel, what he's done in you for the gospel, and sharing the gospel more than trying to pin the tail on the Antichrist?
Do you see how easily out of balance that is? Some of you grew up, and I remember this. Some of you older folks remember this. Uh, the charts that used to be up, they used to have charts, and some of them still do, where they would put charts up, and it would be like this big diagram. I mean, some of you know what I'm talking about here a little bit. Uh, and it was amazing because if something changed, they would have to go reprint that big chart. I can't imagine that was cheap. But the question was always, do you love the God of the gospel more than you love the end times? Look, we need to be aware of the end times. Please don't hear me. God says, keep vigilant, be ready, do all those things, but don't get so wrapped up in it that you miss the Christ who saved you and gives you strength through his spirit each day to live the Christian life. Because that is what happens. So the Antichrist abuses Christ. He has a period he has a principle, and he is a person as well. Let's go on to the second point here. Those who are antichrist also seek to abort Christ's church. And I use that word intentionally there, abort Christ's church. Because Satan is a master deceiver. He is a strategist, and he knows the best place to launch an attack is from the inside. Look back at verse 19. He goes on to say, John does, he says, They went out from us, they, the antichrist, those who don't know Christ, went out from us. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Friends, this is why we have to be very vigilant even in the church. Be very vigilant even in the church. Once the damage is done, Antichrist leave the field of battle, taking what captives they can, but also revealing their true colors for who they really are. A person who is not truly a Christian but says they are, who is truly opposed to Christ, an antichrist, will desert the fellowship. This is no excommunication from the church. They will leave the church, abort the church voluntarily. Why? Paul says, you see that they and us. You see that in the verse, they and us. They do this, we do that. They do this, we do that. The conclusion that John draws about these people who say they're Christians but leave the church because they don't like that Christ is being preached is this. They are lost. They are, they are lost. They are spiritually dead in their sin. Because why? What is the greatest hope that you know Jesus Christ in a time where antichrist and, and, and false doctrine is infiltrating every part of everywhere? It's that you have the strength of the Holy Spirit bearing witness to your spirit that you know Christ. How do you know if you're a Christian? John says, he says, you will have a love, first off, for the local church. You will love the local church. Not that it's perfect. Spurgeon said, if you find a perfect church, run away because you just contaminated it. And isn't that true? Look, there is no perfect church, but those who know Christ will have this truth about them. It is impossible to love Jesus. This is the first application. It's impossible to love Jesus and hate doctrine, hate teaching, because you can't love the biblical Jesus without knowing the biblical doctrine about Jesus. Does that make sense? These people said they were Christian, but they walked out the door because they were not among us. They claimed Christ. Maybe they even served in the local church back in John's day. They had an appearance of godliness. But John says that it became plain to us that they wanted nothing to do with the Christian church because it was opposed to what they truly believed. They physically deserted the church. And secondly, they spiritually denied the faith. Look at verses 22 and 23. We're going to do some hopping here, but verses 22 says... Um, who's the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies Jesus, the, the Father, and the Son. Their physical desertion was decisive and essential, painful but positive, but their spiritual denial was heretical. It was tragic. It was terrible. They left. John calls them liars, one who opposes the truth. What is the truth? 
Who is the liar? It's the one who says Jesus isn't who he said he was. Friends, they seduced this church. They misled the church, these false teachers, these antichrists, in a full-time occupation. That's why, very clearly, a fake Christianity will end up in a very real hell. A fake Christianity will end up in a very real hell. This is why we are so, so careful at our church the way we do things. There is liberty and freedom in Christ to expand and do different things with churches, biblically speaking, with under the authority of the word, and I acknowledge that. Friends, this is why we don't run with every whim of doctrine that goes through the church. Look, every two years there's a major book that comes out, and not always bad books, but churches chase after this book and that book and this author and that author. Friends, I want the only author we have to be God himself through the word. Amen? I'm not saying you shouldn't read Christian literature. I'm not saying you shouldn't go read Christian books. Please let me be clear on that. But those who Paul is, or John is referring to here were those that spiritually denied the faith because they were following every wind of doctrine. And Paul said in Ephesians 4 that you shouldn't be blown and tossed back and forth. You should know why you believe what you believe and know why you don't believe what you don't believe. And that's not just for smart people. By God's grace, I'm not a smart person, but God has given me enough knowledge to know if this is false or fake. You know that old sermon illustration, how do you tell a dollar bill that's true or real? How do they teach people at the Federal Reserve to do that? Do you know how they do it? I don't have a dollar bill on me, so we'll figure this out. <laughs> Vacation. Uh, yeah, that's right. You only study the real ones. Because once you know the real ones, you can easily tell the fake ones. It's true. And the same is true of your faith. These people believed in a fake Christianity, a Jesus in their own making, a God after their own image. And they were headed the opposite way of where God wanted them to do. Friends, they rejected that Christ was Savior. It started right there. If you're visiting with us and you're not a Christian, we are super excited, stoked, if you want to use the Colorado skier term. We are stoked that you are here. We are so glad God brought you here. But the question is, do you know Christ? He loved you. He gave his life for you. And what a great thing that is. What has the church believed about Jesus throughout the history? I'll just read out of one of the old creeds, one of the old founding creeds. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down and was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and suffered and was buried and rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and ascended into the heavens and now sits on the right hand of the Father, and comes again with glory to judge the living and the dead, of whose kingdom there will be no end." That is the Jesus that we believe in. That is the Jesus that we believe in. But notice what he says here, friends. Look at what he says. He says, they will abort Christ's church because they don't believe this very fact. Verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. John is being very exclusive here. He says, look, the theology and relationship that you have in your mind to God matters where you will spend eternity. No son, no father. If you don't come to the son as a savior, you see him as something else, then you have missed it out. Look, sincerity is not the issue. You can be sincere about a lot of things. I am sincerely believing the royals are going to pull this out. Amen? <laughs> Guys, you need to get on your knees and pray for this, all right? But in all seriousness, sincerity is not the issue. Look, you can be sincere about a lot of things. I love the Royals, but at the end of the day, it's baseball, right? It's just baseball. 
The son is the issue. Conviction is not the issue. A lot of people are convicted about a lot of things. We have seen that in the last couple of weeks with some major conferences in Philadelphia and Cleveland. A lot of people are, have convictions, and not always bad ones, about things. But Christ is what matters most, not your convictions. Your convictions come from a right view of Christ and his scripture. But if you deny God and you deny the one true God, then you have missed the boat, friend, with everything in your life. And with that, you will say, well, this church just doesn't believe what I believe anymore, so I'm just going to leave. Then you will plainly show, as John said, that you knew not Christ. What is our great motivation as Christians? It's this, 2 Corinthians 5.14. The love of Christ compels us. That is truly the only Christian motivation. I'm so grateful for the leaders that we have in this church, from staff to to volunteers who serve in so many ways, because we've asked that question the last year and a half. Is this gospel-centered? Is what we are doing in this way glorifying, pointing people to the gospel, or is it just busyness? Are we just spinning our wheels because that's how we've always done it? And not everything we've done in the past is bad. Please don't misunderstand, but we want to ask that question. Is our motivation that the love of Christ compels us to do this? And that will change a lot of things for you. You know, especially as we're coming out of two weeks of a a lot of uh, uh, things in the media about politics, I wanted to share this with you a little tongue-in-cheek, and I want to, I just want to make a point about it. True story that came out a couple months ago, Mary Ann Alfriend uh, passed away, and they were using a little humor for her, and I hope you'll laugh at this no matter who you are supporting, but it said in her obituary, face of the prospect of voting for Trump or Clinton, Mary Ann chose instead to pass into eternal love of God. <laughs> Look, friends, <laughs> if as a Christian you view either political party as the enemy, the Antichrist, you have misunderstood the kingdom of God. I am not saying that either one is perfect. Please don't hear that. What John is saying is politics is not your enemy, although there are things in politics that are truly against the Bible. Please hear that clearly. The enemy is the one who says, I want nothing to do with Jesus. I want nothing to do with what he came to do. I want nothing to do with what the Bible says who he is. Do you see that? Christian, you need to be praying for this fall. You need to pray that God's will be done, first and foremost. You need to pray that God would give us great wisdom, on how to vote and all those things. I'm not endorsing anyone. I'm just simply giving you principles. But you also need to pray that through the messiness that is our culture right now, that the gospel is clear. Amen? Because, friends, we sometimes get so riled up over our favorite party, whatever that is, whether that's the Royals party, the Chiefs party, or whatever you got, that we forget that the enemy isn't the Texas Rangers hitting a walk-off home run last night. The enemy isn't the Chiefs the Oakland Raiders, the enemy is the one who says, I know Christ and I want nothing to do with him and I'm going to stand on those principles. That is the one that Christ said in Matthew 5, pray for them. Pray for your enemies. What are you praying for them? You are praying that someone who doesn't know the gospel would know the gospel. Pray for your politicians that they would know, they would have wisdom, yes, but if they do not know Christ, that by the Spirit's regenerative work in their hearts that they would be drawn and saved. If you have friends or neighbors that don't know Christ, don't, you know, I know some of you are sharing with your neighbors and we're praying for them. Share boldly, share lovingly. We had, uh, I was telling Meg, wherever you are, I was telling Meg, we had two carloads of eight teenagers out here at 7.30 this morning shooting BBs into our valley down below. When I started sharing the gospel, they said, we're out of here. We don't want anything to do with this. You never know who God's going to put in your path. 
Friends, politics is not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. Politics is not the Antichrist. Those who deny Christ are in multiple realms. That can be a love of sports, friends. I love sports. Did you know that? I love sports. I worked in college sports before this. I love sports. Friends, anyone, anywhere, anytime, any place who says, I want nothing to do with Jesus is the Antichrist. Do you see that? Whether it is a love of golf on a Sunday morning, whether it is a love of whatever can fill up anything a Christian is to do, that is what John says is abusing and aborting the church. If you're a Christian, I challenge you to say, Lord, what is it, who is it that you'd have me share the gospel with this week? Let's move on. So we've talked about they, these antichrists, they, they oppose Christ, they abuse him, they abort Christ's church, and then we're kind of working through the verses here, but the antichrists also assault the Christians, assault the Christians. The Antichrist and his army is committed to our defeat and devoted to our destruction. But aren't you grateful, church, that God in his grace has given us a three-pronged defense that we're going to see through these verses that we can have victory through them. First off, he says, if you are being attacked as a Christian, anyone who's opposing you as a Christian, then you have experienced the anointing of the Spirit. Darren's going charismatic on us. Watch out. No, I'm not. This is not charismatic. Friends, the Holy Spirit is real. He's active. He is fully God, and praise Him for that. Notice verses uh, 20 and 21 again in verse 27. You'll see that phrase, you have, verse 20, uh, verse 21, you have, and verse 27 also, it'll say, but you have, or you have received. What is he talking about here? John is saying, in the midst of all these antichrists, you don't have to stand on your own. God, working through the Holy Spirit, has given you all the grace you need to stand. He's given you an anointing. Greek word charisma. That's where charismatics use the word charisma, charismatic, anointing. It's a word found only here in all the New Testament. There's a conscious play of the Antichrist in Christ. The word is used in connection with receiving the Spirit. Please, this is not me going Bapticostal, as Blake said a few weeks ago. This is not that. But we have this anointing so that we can know what the truth is. Friends, many times in my life, and I'm grateful for it, an evidence that you know Christ, is that when you start teaching wayward things, listening to wayward things, the Holy Spirit, in only a way that He can do, shows you those things. Or brings a friend in your life and says, why are you, why are you listening to that junk? Why are you reading that junk? Why? That's not the gospel. I am grateful I had friends at William Jewell. I've referenced this so many times. Grateful I had friends when I was starting to be buddy-buddy with some New Testament professors at Jewell. Great guys, family men, good character. That they came up to me and said, Darren, you know what? What they're teaching you is not in the Bible. Oh, man, the things came out. But these are good guys. They love Christ. But when they start teaching you that the Bible isn't true, Darren, be careful. But they go to church? Yeah, they do. But what church do they go to? Not a church that teaches the word. Be very careful. Be grateful that the Spirit works through friends. Friends, this is why the fellowship here is so important to you. I praise God that on September 19th, Judy, I think it is, the directory is coming out, and we get to see faces. Some of you have said, I want to see each other's faces. Friends, I'm grateful that we have that opportunity. God is so good. Get to know each other in this congregation because God has given each of us an anointing. Not some, not some wave that you can rave and half the crowd falls down. I'm not talking about that. God has given you the ability, as you study the Scriptures alone, to know truth from error. Say, Darren, I'm not smart. 
Well, a bunch of fishermen sure got it right, and they had the same Holy Spirit. Amen? Your pastor, as big of a ding-dong as I am sometimes, can be taught of the Lord. What he says here is this anointing that we are given is when attacks on the truth come, it means that we have the ability to stand on it. Look at verse 27. Let's clear this up. Verse 27 says, and many people have gone astray with this, it says, but the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Oh, this is where all the, all the pundits like to come out. Well, Darren, why do I need to join a local church? I have everything I need right here. Not true at all. You are to be in that local church so that through the teaching of the word publicly in small groups, Sunday schools, whatever it is, that it's right there. Look, you have no need for a teacher doesn't mean that you are exempt from attending church, studying the Bible, praying, being disciplined. That's not what this verse is saying. That is an abuse of scripture if there ever was one. What it is saying is that the Bible constantly advocates teaching. And it constantly says that teaching through the truth that is in the local church, especially, and the believers that are there, is enough through the power of the Spirit to teach you what you need to know. Friends, this is why the first application point is this. Don't try to be the Holy Spirit in another person's life. Let the Spirit be the Spirit. You just speak the truth in love. Sometimes we need that in the local church. Because sometimes we go so far off on ourselves. Well, well, I have a Bible. I have a house. It's safe. It's warm. Especially in the winter when it gets super cold. I don't need to go to church. I got Jesus. We're good. We got our own thing going. We're happy. Woo! Go Jesus. That's not what's being said here. He is talking to Christians in a local church, reaffirming to them that to fight the Antichrist, to fight attacks on Christians, the Spirit is enough working through God's people and personally. That's why you don't have to be the Holy Spirit for someone else. What I don't mean by that, if someone is in sin, biblically, we have a responsibility to go to them and point that out. One to one, if they deny it, two to three, they deny it, take it before the church. If they deny it, they're out of the church. That's scripture. This doesn't mean that every nitpicky thing that may be a liberty in Christ, you go and attack. What it does mean, though, is that what we have here is that the Holy Spirit is enough to guide us in this. That is what we have. What is another safeguard that Christ has given us? He says, secondly, we're to embrace the authority of the Scriptures. Friends, we not only have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but look back at verse 24. I told you we're jumping around a little bit. He says we have the authority of the Scriptures to fight these antichrists. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. What is from the beginning? Look back at chapter 1, guys. Let's connect the dots. Chapter 1, verse 1. He says this. He says, this is what, from the beginning, which we heard, which we've seen with our eyes. He's telling them, look, this teaching that these antichrists are bringing you is not something that was taught from the beginning. It's a new teaching. That's why when you see things pop up on Facebook and social media, use discernment. Not every click of a link to an article you read is actually gospel-centered biblical truth. Be very, very careful. I think Abraham Lincoln once said, not everything you believe can, you, everything you see on the internet can be believed. I'm going to let that sink in for some of you for just a second. Abraham Lincoln was in 1860 before the internet, but that's another problem. 
Friends, we need no other word. We need no other additional word. We have what we need right here. And in his work of illumination, the Holy Spirit takes this inspired scripture, the master's message, and applies it to our life. We don't need a Book of Mormon, friends. We don't need the Apocrypha in the Catholic doctrine. We don't need Jehovah's Witnesses' watchtower literature. We have what we have right here in the scriptures, and this is sufficient and enough, and that is what we stand on. Martin Luther said, those who teach new doctrines rarely return. (laughs) That's very true. If we never move, we need not worry about a return. That's why every season of revival, every season of revival in the history of the church has been ushered in by a decisive return to the primacy and authority of the scripture of God's word. Every revival. It starts with, do you know this? These antichrists, these who oppose Christ would say, well, John's just an old fuddy-duddy at this point. He's like 82 years old. Man, isn't that old or whatever he is? You don't need to listen to that guy. This is the truth. They would say, and John reminds them and says, no, the spirit has given you enough. The authority is enough. And we'll end on this last point. He says, you need to enjoy abiding in the son of God. How do you know you're a Christian? Look at that word there in verses 24, 25 and verse 28. He says that word abide, remain or abide. It's a favorite word of John's. We've looked at it before, but it means union or communion. And it basically means when we come to Jesus, we've come home and we are where we need to be. How many of y'all's parents had that thing, uh, home is where the heart is, I think it is? See, any of y'all still have that? My parents have that at their house. Friends, that's exactly true spiritually. Your home with Christ, he now has your heart. You don't need to go anywhere else. You don't need to love the world, as Matt preached about last week. You don't need to love the things of the world. And John says, look, he says, there are three marvelous blessings we receive. We've received the Father. People for centuries longed for the Father. We have now received it. We have now received eternal life. Praise the Lord for that. I shared yesterday at Ernie's funeral as he went, as we committed his body to the ground. That's not the end of Ernie Price. Ernie Price is rejoicing in heaven right now. For him to die is gain. What he saw by by faith here, he now sees by sight. Christian, if you are afraid of dying, I don't want you to be. You shouldn't be. Because Christ holds the keys of death. He's given you eternal life. God is our father. He's our daddy. He loves us. He cares about us. We belong to him and he belongs to us. And it is his promise to us that will carry us through. Friends, I'm so grateful for that. It is his promise to us that carries us through. No matter what you're facing today, no matter if you feel this pressure all around you with this culture changing, politicians saying one thing and doing another, companies used to stand on integrity falling on their promises, Look, friends, the only one who's secure in your life is Jesus Christ. I know that sounds so preschool age, but Christians, sometimes you need to be reminded of that. When all the world is falling around you, the only thing that's going to stand beside you, the only one who's going to stand beside you is Christ because he's the only one who has stood above the grave. Let's run the list, shall we? Buddha's dead. Confucius is dead. Joseph Smith is dead. Mary Eddie Baker is dead. <sighs> Muhammad is dead. Muhammad Ali, the greatest fighter of all time, is dead. I don't mean that in any trite way. I'm just, I'm just trying to prove the point. Even the strongest of us are dead. But the strongest one ever, Christ lives, and that is who we have. Friends, I don't know about you. There's a lot of antichrists walking around who don't know Christ I would ask this week as we close that as, as you pray this week, as you think about what, what does this message mean to me, are you as connected to this local church as you need to be? Do you have someone who you can call in your life and say, look, give me a reality check spiritually. 
I just need someone to be honest with me right now. Am I off base? Am I on base? Do you have that person in your life? If you don't, pray about it. Come to us. Let's see if we can connect you with someone. Maybe you're at work right now, and, and that pressure is mounting for you to do things you know you shouldn't do or to take things you shouldn't take. Well, no one's listening. No one's watching. The cameras aren't around, but the Lord is around. He knows. Some of you are facing medical crises in your family that are daunting. Christ is enough. Friends, we believe that God works through medicine sometimes and God will use it, but ultimately God is the pusher. Are you trusting more in Christ than you are the medicine to save? Because doctors will look at you sometimes and say, throw him a towel, he's done. But you know what? I believe our God can save if he so wills. Pray until God shuts that door. He's faithful. False teaching starts with the assumption that people will have your best life now. That is false. Friends, our best life is what our bro- dear brother, Ernie Price, is experiencing right now in heaven. His best life is later in heaven. And in that time, there's no antichrist, but we live it now. You pray, Christian, you love, you be bold, you love on your neighbors, and you do that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you this morning for your word. Father, as uh, studying this over vacation in the week prior, this hits home, this hits hard. Father, but uh, Lord, I pray. I pray as we often pray from this pulpit for those in our lives, friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, long-lost connections, that you would allow us to know the truth of the word seen in their lives. Father, I'm praying for patience for those in our lives who are so wayward, so anti-Christian, anti-Christ, that it would only, Father, it's always a miracle, but it seems to be, there's nothing we can do. Father, I pray for wayward children in this, this congregation. Pray for wayward grandchildren those who have walked away from the faith seemingly that maybe never knew Christ but professed Christ, that, Father, truly for the first time you would regenerate, restore, and draw into their hearts only what you can do. Father, we pray that we would be bold and faithful this politics season. Father, give us wisdom, give us grace. We pray for politicians and all those who work in politics. Give great wisdom. You say to pray for leaders, even Nero of that time. Father, so we do, but we also pray if there's any that don't know Christ, and I know there are, Lord, let them know your son. Father, I pray as we we walk through this culture that we're walking through right now that your grace would just pour down on Christians to see that this world is not our home, that it is the next world. But Father, I pray we are bold with the gospel, but loving all the same because we love because you first loved us. Father, thank you for Tower View Baptist Church. Thank you for these dear brothers and sisters. Oh, how we missed them last week. Father, but ultimately, we know together, unified, that we are together in Christ. Thank you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.